1: Wow, it's like I was in the story. Almost makes me forget this was supposed to be about saving big with Progressive. (laughs) Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. You made it. Here, finally. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of that place you've always wanted to go. You know the one. It's nice. Even the kids like it. This place is so cool. And they never like it. Mom, can we go to the pool? Look at that not even asking for the Wi-Fi. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Time is a interesting thing. For some, it moves incredibly slow. For others, it's moving at the speed of light. The real question, though, is what will you do with the time that you've been given? How will you use that time? Today on Dr. D's Social Network, we talk to my brother, a wonderful, wonderful human, independent hip-hop artist, Grammy voter, several times over ASCAP, Songwriter of the Year, Wordsmith. We talk about what he's done with his time and how he's used it to affect the lives of so many people in a positive way. Before we jump into his conversation, let's listen to a little music.
0: They say their time is like a never-ending battle. Say that if you're standing still that time loses value Come on, let And now your heart start racing and your feet start pacing and your life is in the making and I see you on the rise. And now no surprise and I hope you open eyes and realize Blake you lose losing time time? Why you checking out? You watch? Why you wasting time? Why you checking out? You watch? Why you wasting time? I see that life is full of grief and it leaves you in disbelief And it's bitter before it's sweet and you staring at empty seats Open those wounds lightly, a false sense of your psyche And time can make it likely a life stretches from A to Z You waiting patiently, faithfully for your chance And those rants can turn to screams when it means you won't advance Find a purpose to lead, I use my time to achieve I breed a creed to feed my seeds best believe. like a never-ending battle come on come on come on come on they say that if you're standing still that time loses value and now your heart start racing and your feet start pacing and your life is in the making and i see you on the rise and eyes no surprise and i hope you open eyes and realize blink you're losing time It's only measured in moments that we can treasure for peer pleasure together i live for legacy brevity so incredibly telling me have a heart for the people needing some empathy a perfect world all these words are gonna soak in i poke in stop going through these motions my slogan be accountable show others respect In the time will turn the memory stop watch or reflect like a never ending battle come on come on come on come on they say that if you're standing still that time loses value come on let's go let's go and now your heart starts racing and your feet start pacing and your life is in the making and i see you on the rise and it's no surprise and i hope you open eyes and realize blake you're losing time
1: Back here with Dr. D Social Network Podcast. And uh, today's a real special episode as I have my brother on here, Wordsmith, also known as Anthony Parker. Thanks for being on, brother. Appreciate it.
0: Definitely, definitely. You know, anytime, you know, I can do something for my brother, someone I've looked up to has been a great example for me. You know, I'm 100% down. So thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, of course. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to dive and go backwards a little bit. So I'm thinking about, you know, I remember when you first got started in music and this is before like the real launch, but I think for the listeners, it'd be really interested in your love of music as a child and where that started.
0: Yeah, sure. You know, as you know, you know, growing up, I was kind of psychotic when it came to hip hop, you know, mm-hmm. um, you remember me stacking up the VHS tapes, getting up 8 a.m. Yeah. 8 in the morning as a kid, which is unheard of just to catch your own TV raps, you know, top 10 countdown on Saturday or catch the show at 4.30 p.m., you know, Monday through Friday. And, you know, sometimes I had the same videos taped over and over on several tapes, you know, but it was my love for it was so strong. The culture of hip hop uh, was so impressionable on me during that time. You know, Um, it really just sparked my mind and I took a love, you know, a love and a liking to it. And as you know, my next phase in my psychotic behavior with hip-hop was collecting tapes, you know, which I still have today. I have a extensive tape collection. All my tapes are in mint condition, and they really tell the story of hip-hop or where it started and where I felt like it ends, because you literally can look at my tape collection and go, oh, why did it stop at, you know, 2003? And it's like, that's when yeah. hip-hop kind of hit that downswing, and it was no longer creative. A lot of artists were no longer Trying to be different, unique, it turned into that pretty much the pop atmosphere. And everybody was like, Well, let me sound like him, we sound like him. And we're still in that phase now. So, you know, I had always had a great love for music, but honestly, I never early on in my life or as a child looked at it like, Hey, this is my end game. I want to be a professional musician. Because as you know, sports was first on the list for me. Mm-hmm. What
1: do you think it was? I don't think we've really do- delved into this, but. I don't like remember a lot of people in our family being very musically inclined, or, you know, really like it's like, I mean, I think we've kind of since found out a tiny bit, but it almost feels like it's in some aspects a one-off, even though it probably isn't, but I don't know, explain a little bit of that. You know?
0: Yeah, I've always felt that way. I mean, we have, you know, maybe, you know, I know our Aunt Juanita played guitar back in the day, but it wasn't, I think, something that she pursued music, you know, as a serious thing. She more, was something, you know, she loved at the time, it was a hobby for her. Um, and then we got our cousin Rock who, you know, he's just more of the straight hip hop, 90s hip hop. You know, uh, I consider myself a songwriter, you know, in all honesty, where hip hop might be my base, but over the years I've just really grown to where, you know, I've written, I've written classical, I've written pop, I've written R&B, I've written jazz, you know, of course hip hop, um, there hasn't been a challenge that's been given to me that I don't feel I've been able to meet, you know? So, uh, I just feel like, you know, over time, my experience, my knowledge and becoming a better, you know, songwriter has, uh, has taken place. And I definitely consider myself a black sheep brother, because, uh, some of the stuff I'm continuing to do and I want to do, there hasn't been no blueprint in our family for it.
1: Yeah. That's why, you know, I think even, I remember like, when we were kids growing up and like you would do like the plays and stuff and and you're in a rap group might be like, I don't understand where this is coming from. Like, <laughs> you know, I was like, it wasn't like there was a lot of, you know, mentors or examples. You know, you hear if artists were to say like, oh, their dad played the guitar and he was like a traveling musician or something like that. You know, like we had none of that. <laughs> I mean No, so. we didn't. It's different that you, but did you always feel that, like that that was natural to you?
0: Yeah, it always was natural. I think it's just because how we grew up, sports was always first. You know, our dad taught us yeah. baseball, taught us basketball, football, and I think that was a great thing because it built my work ethic in life, and music, you know, and the same with you. I wouldn't have changed it, you know, but uh yeah. I think it would have been nice and it would have shaved some years off my journey, my very tough journey in music, if I if I had an example or I had a mentor, I had someone in the family that maybe not have reached the highest of high levels, but could say to me, hey, you don't want to go down this path. You don't want to work with these type of people. You you want to make sure you do this before you do this. And it was literally me figuring everything out on, on my own, researching, um, trying to learn the business. And where my place is in the business, because all of us can't be celebrities and superstars, you know. So everything that has happened in my career, you know, uh has been a lot of trial and error, you know, and I've had a couple people like yourself that have sacrificed, you know, for me as well to have this career, you know, and I never forget that.
1: It's hard being the first doing something, I think, in anything. And that's how I saw it with you. It was like this is just an area I don't have any knowledge about, you know, and it was hard to find people that could guide you on it, you know? So I think that when you're first in something, it's easy to make a lot of mistakes or not know the pitfalls and that. And I I think one of the things I'd love to transition to is I I actually talked to a lot of people nowadays, surprisingly that are in the music business and stuff. And they're all struggling to get to where you have got to. They're like, amazed at what you've done. <laughs> you have a chance to be a mentor to these type of people. What's step 1 for them
0: in the journey? Just realizing that, you know, they're not you're not a failure. You didn't reach your dream just because you're not a superstar. And if musicians, you know, even actors, anybody in entertainment, if you can get in your head that once you're taking care of yourself, clothing yourself, feeding yourself, you have a family, taking care of your kids through your music, you've made it. And you have to come to that realization. So day one, you can say, my goal is to support myself only through my music. That's the first good step you need to get on. If your goal from day one is like, if I don't become a superstar, if everybody doesn't know my name, then this was a waste of my time. I'm gonna be honest with you, you're probably gonna fail from day one. Uh, Cause the music industry, very few people get discovered the way they did back in the day. Very few people are given this great platform to shine and show their talents on a level that they might feel they have or they should. And so a lot of the game now is, you have to know the business, you have to treat it like school and research, know all the different ways that you can get paid, know the different companies that are willing to work with independent artists or work with independent companies. Because in this particular business, it is not a business where everybody is willing to share the secrets or willing to be like, hey, you know, Mm -hmm. come on, let's have a meeting and let me show you how you can excel. It's so cutthroat. So many people want the top. So many people uh, are egotistical in this business, which is why it's entertainment, you know. And right, literally, people will will cut your throat just for you not to succeed. And I've dealt with that, you know. I to find out that people can be scared of your talent. You know what I mean? Where another artist, or a manager, or or even labels, you know, to be scared of your talent, or in my case, I know too much. You know, I've literally been told by record label execs, you know, too much. You know, you're hard to work with because you know too much of the business. But they're also telling on themselves, like we just want stupid artists. We want you to be supremely talented, but we want you to be stupid on the business side so we can take advantage of you. And that's actually been a downfall in my career. Is that the the smarter I got, the more I knew it hurt me because I knew too much. And to be told that it's just like, wow, really? Y'all don't want any education in this business, you know? So you have to be okay not being a star. And the next thing is you have to find your own lane. You can't sit out here and go, I need to sound like this guy, or this song was a hit. I need to write something like that. Again, you're setting yourself up for failure. Find out who you are. What do you stand for? What does your music stand for what type of artist are you these are the questions you need to ask yourself and when you can answer those your path will become visible to you and and i can tell you that from experience with me early on you know cursed a lot of my music talked about a lot of stuff that was really irrelevant i pretty much sounded like everybody in the pack you know you could just lump me in with a lot of other artists there's nothing special about me but when i looked inside of myself and i said you know the person i am inside is i love to help people I'm curious about life. I'm curious about gaining knowledge. I'm curious about impacting this world. Why am I not talking about these things in my music? It was literally that stupid to me when it when I realized it. And when I was able to realize that, what my purpose was, my meaning for creating music was, what my impact was, coming to the realization that, hey, being a superstar may not be for me, but I'm able to impact people to where they're going to remember me not so much for my music all the time but this was a good guy he was there for me in need he helped me he he gave me mm-hmm. advice he encouraged me i'm sorry but the biggest of artists and the biggest of actors that we love we're not always going to remember them for anything special they did in life to impact anybody we're just like hey he had great songs or he was a great artist i want to remember the people say he was a great man you know he was a great leader and you know what and he was a great musician i'll take that third
1: Yeah. I think it's, we're in a society where, you know, it's our, it's kind of the values that we present to the public. And and a lot of artists, I think there's a lot of artists doing a lot of good things. But fortunately, the value is always on, you know, the monetary compensation, the type of, you know, the, the glamour, the glitz, this whole thing. What was the most discouraging part of your rise and we could say this here and it's very proud for me to say this is my brother has made it he's actually made it and you may be listening to this and be like i don't really know wordsmith but the point is he's made it he makes his his entire living off of music which is incredible but what was the most discouraging part about the process
0: uh just feeling like you're not respected you know what i mean um you can do a lot of tremendous work, you know, during your journey, but always feel like you're underappreciated or you're not respected uh, when you might see other artists. And it's not you hating on the other artists or whatever, but yeah. it's just like with a sport, you know, you have underdogs or you have people that you're like, man, this dude's just as talented as this guy, but they're always talking about this guy all the time, you know. And yeah, yeah. that's how I've always felt. In my career is like, you know, I meet people and they always say the same thing to me: "Man, you're a real artist, word. You're a real artist," and. I love it and I don't like it because I say, if I'm so much a real artist, then why am I not up there with these other people? You know what I mean? That you that are being worshipped and are, are worth millions of dollars and have platinum albums. I can write the same material at the same level, you know, and yet and still, that's not where I'm at, though I've made it, you know? So that's been probably the most discouraging part of seeing that there's kind of a selection process in the music industry that is untold. Uh, certain artists are selected to be your celebrity, you're yes. selected to be yes. the ones you worship, and this is fact. You know, no one in the museum is ever going to come out and tell this to your face as a consumer, but they select to going to be the star year to year a lot of times, and it takes away from so many talented people that are out here that have so many great gifts. So many people give up, you know, with, that have great gifts that you know, just can't take it anymore. Like I said, they don't realize that, you know, you make it once you make a living off of it. But some people are crushed by the music industry and they have this tremendous talent. So I've been there. I've been discouraged a lot of times with that. You know, another big discouragement for me is just people taking money from me, you know, telling me, hey, word, I can do this for you to advance your career. And you lose $5,000, you lose $2,000, you lose $500. It's heartbreaking when you're independent and You're putting trust in somebody and hoping that hey they'll get me over the hump or hey they'll they'll take my music and get it here and unfortunately more times than not my money's been stolen or they never been able to follow through with what they told me i've got more done through my own hard work and perseverance than i would say anybody in the music industry that's claimed they can help me
1: i remember those stories man (laughs) (laughs) yeah i remember those stories I remember our parents were like, "Man, Anthony's got to be careful about this stuff, man." <laughs> it's like, Yeah, yeah, they know. But you know, it's part of the whole thing. You're trying to climb. You're trying to scratch up this mountain. And you know, like anything, there's not gonna it's not gonna be pretty all the time. <laughs> you know, correct, correct. And I think you always did a good job of. It could have been easier for you to quit many times. I feel like just Ooh. be like, eh. <laughs> you know, it was so stressful. All the stress you had and all the just. The disappointments, this, I think for the audience, it's really important to realize that. I mean, you're listening to, let's just put this in perspective. You're listening to a Grammy voter. You're listening to uh, many times over ASCAP writer, songwriter of the year, independent songwriter of the year, um, ESPN licensing, ABC, Golf Channel, you name it, super successful. And has failed many, many times. <laughs> like,
0: yes, many times.
1: <laughs> many, many times, and I always applaud you for continuing to move forward um, in that process. But what's, what's been the most joyful part as you've continued to move up the ladder on this?
0: Uh, I would say the small accomplishments of you know getting you know your first big check off of something you wrote. Yeah. You know what I mean and seen a couple zeros there, you know, and it's been like, wow, this is, I earned this money through something I created that didn't exist at one point. And I used my mind and my intelligence and knowledge, uh, some gift and ability, you know, that God gave me. And I created a body of work that people bought or people used in a film or a TV show or game. And it just, it gives you this feeling of accomplishment you don't get when you work for other people or you work a nine to five. And I'm, Again, I'm not knocking that because I worked the nine to five for thirteen years. And I have a nine to five, 12 hour shifts, you know, for thirteen years. Mm-hmm. The government, so I know that side of life. So I'm not knocking it. I just know I didn't get the same fulfillment when you're when someone else is like, "Hey, get this done," and it's not your passion in life either. So of course, the fulfillment's not going to be the same. But this is my passion in life. And again, I didn't have a blueprint. I didn't know what level I was going to make it to. I didn't know if I was ever going to make it. I just knew I had the motivation, determination to make something of myself as a musician. So when I started uh, somewhat being in demand, um, people reaching out to me to like, hey, can you write for this? Can you write for this artist? Can you write for this show? Um, You start knowing, hey, I have worth in this music business, I might not be over the radio, I might not be over in people's faces on TV, but I have worth, you know, and I've always looked at the worlds like this, you have the commercial world, you have the corporate world of music. And I can tell other artists out there straight up, I have hits in the corporate world that I get paid thousands of dollars just for them being played and used. But these same songs have never touched the radio on the commercial side. And to me, there's an issue with that in the music industry, because I say to myself, if a big corporation like Disney wants to work with me, and they see the value in my songwriting, the music I create, how does a radio station that is local and needs the help of you buying ads, you pretty much paying them for every little thing that they do to service you music, they don't see your value as an artist. And I've never understood, because I'm like, Disney is bigger than almost every radio station across the nation. Like We're talking about what they're worth, their impact, what they give to society, where I'm like, what does radio really do for you? Not much. They just play music and maybe deliver some news to you, and you get some hosts, DJs, and so forth. And I say... (laughs) It's so it's so backwards, you know what I mean? Radio, you have to pay to get on the radio. Where in the corporate world, they're paying you to use your music because they see the value. <laughs> and I say, what the hell? Who, who, who devised this? That it's so backwards. If anything, radio should be paying you if they don't have your music. There is no radio, right? You understand? It's like there's no radio without the music. If not, you're just gonna hear commercials and people talking. Well, I don't know about you, but I love podcasts for that part to just hear people talk. Sure. That's what the greatness of podcasts are. You can hear people talk. There's no filter. And you can just dig in for two hours. Radio, everything's timed. You got 30 minutes for a show. Maybe your interview's five minutes. And it's so limited. And a lot of the times the questions are so generic because they're just rolling interviews day after day after day, artists after artists. It's just such a bad dynamic to where if I can be prosperous in the corporate world where it means so much more and so much more money is made how is it you can't play these same records on the radio? You know, and I don't know where to start to change that or how that can be changed, but it's always been something that has bothered me about how music works. Who decided that this should run this way?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I remember you telling me about that. And it actually, it makes me think of um, a couple of things. But one, what have you liked the most about how I guess music's distributed or changed throughout the years. And what have you liked least about it?
0: I think it's too easy to call yourself a musician now when you when mm. a lot of people aren't really musicians. Okay. And and
1: hear me Explain out on this. Explain that. Yeah, Explain hear this. me out on
0: this. So I grew up in an era where <laughs> There was no SoundCloud, no Spotify, Apple Music wasn't around. You literally had to go buy a CD in the store or buy a tape in the store, or you had to see a video on TV or hear a song in the radio. Those were your only outlets for hearing about artists. And with that said, you couldn't just make a song and just put it up on the internet or just get it on the radio. Okay? You literally had to shine, had to show talent, had to be discovered word of mouth had to take place, DJs had to break records, tell other DJs about you, tell radio stations about you. It was this organic way of you being known. Whereas now, anybody can get a laptop, hook up a mic, and put out whatever. And and you can literally go on SoundCloud. I'm not saying don't use it, but I've heard so many records on SoundCloud that are not mixed, not mastered. Mm. Ad-libs are higher than your lead vocals. Like We're talking about Learning how to actually record music as well. That's part about being a professional musician is knowing how to record, how to layer your hook correctly, where to sit your ad libs. Your ad libs should not be higher than your verse, they're ad libs, they're for the background of a record. Whereas a lot of hip hop today, the ad libs are almost as important as the verse, which makes no sense to me. Yeah. You know, so when I say you have people saying, hey, I'm a musician because I started posting stuff on SoundCloud, and granted, we've had acts like Post Malone who has shown he is a musician. He actually can play instruments. He writes music. I don't have to love all his music, but I can say, hey, this guy's an actual musician. He benefited from SoundCloud. But even still, I feel like he would have made it anyway at some point. His talent would have risen to the top. Whereas right now, it's like your mama could put something on SoundCloud and get heard. Your your father, your, your uncle, anybody can put something on SoundCloud and be like, hey, I'm a musician now. No, you're not. You're not. There is a whole process to being a musician. Like, I can actually write music. I can actually hear a production and diagnose a record and say, hey, this is the concept. Hey, this is how the hook needs to go. Hey, this is how the verse needs to be be delivered. All that goes into diagnosing a song so it's delivered properly to the consumer. And, you know, I'm more harping on hip hop. When I hear a lot of these hip hop records, they're, they're messy. They sound like stuff that would be on a mixtape back in the 90s or the early 2000s. Right, right. Now mixtape records that are messy are on the radio, and they're and they're your hit records in hip hop now, and it shows me too how much there's no the quality level of people's ears have went down. Where you got people in the radio industry who are like, "Oh, that's a dope record." I hear and I'm like, "This is terribly written. <laughs> this is horribly exactly. written. Like, where's even the format to this song?" Um, like you got this cat in Le Chopper, and I'm not afraid to bring it up. I know a lot of people love him and so forth, but he puts out records where he spits for like four minutes straight, no hook, nothing. How is that on the radio? How is that in the billboard top 100? Yeah. I've done plenty of records like that. They ain't going to radio. They not going to the top 100. None of that. But this is my point. In this day and era we live in the, the air quality of people, when they hear something like that, mm. like that is, that is such a great song. Really? All the brother did was just spit for four minutes straight about absolutely nothing. Mostly killing folks, killing people, there's no real message. There's nothing real that he's talking about. He just talking about everyday nothing. And you're telling me that's platinum records today? That's that's the consumer saying, Crazy. you haven't been giving me much for years, so I'm not expecting much anymore. So when I hear something like this, I'm like, hey, this is a great record. And uh, I recently saw this documentary on Netflix about David Foster, you know, who is, you know, if you know David Foster, he's- uh, I
1: just saw that. Yes. I gotta watch that, yeah.
0: For a songwriter like me, who I'm a bare bones songwriter and love the art of songwriter and the detail of it. He gets it. You know, it's you're creating a moment too. You're creating a legacy in the in the songs that you write. You're creating, you should be able to create music that 10 years from now, they're relevant. 10 years from now, they can speak to different moments in time. And you can go back and grab that song and be like, hey, we're going through this now. This is the theme, or this is the song for this moment of what we're going through a lot of music that comes out now has no legacy to it it's it's forgotten so quickly and easily it's fast food and seeing david foster uh his documentary and seeing how he created music and how deep he loved the creation process and how he pulled so much out of artists and how he worked with artists to to for them to reach their potential that doesn't happen today and that goes back to how i started this of when you can just hop on a laptop with no musical experience and just say, hey, I'm gonna throw this together. I don't even know what it means to mix and master a record. Hell, I don't even know what a performer rights society is. So I don't even know how to get paid off of this. I'm gonna throw it on SoundCloud. That's not being a professional musician. That's just you one day deciding, I'm just gonna put something out, you know, almost as a hobby. So be professional about your craft. Learn about music. Learn how to get paid through this and present yourself in the most professional way because the consumers, they will get lazy on us. They'll just accept what we give them. And if we don't give them much, that's going to be fine with them. No, we want to challenge the consumers to be like, this is what good music sounds like. All right, open your ears back up. I'm not saying don't go by that, but you need to open your ears back up. And there needs to be a distinguishing factor between this is how good music is formulated and sounds. This is what music that is kind of just thrown together sounds like. And I feel like that's all muffled together right now.
1: So... Uh- on the other side of that, what have you enjoyed or had the most joy about in this time we're living in with music?
0: Uh, I would, I would say, do you mean in just the current deal with COVID and, and what's going on? Well, just like being a
1: musician and, and the streaming era, essentially, you know, it went from, I I remember when like Usher sold a million albums that first week. I mean, it's one of my favorite albums and like, who does that anymore? You know what I mean? Like, how can how can you even do that? If somebody sells a hundred thousand in a week, it's like, well, oh wow, that's a massive sale, you know, type of yeah. thing. Like, what's great about being in this era going from physical sale to really a lot of streaming?
0: Uh, I mean, just you can get the music quicker to the consumer. To me, that's the only benefit. You know, um mm. when you were Buying CDs and had to wait for albums to come out. I don't know about you. I love the anticipation of that. I love that right. you had to go actually put effort forward to go buy that artist CD. It tells you that, hey, yeah, wait outside the fans. record
1: store and stuff, you know. which
0: I psychotic have done before. You know, especially <laughs> my boy Redman. You know,
1: Redman albums, yeah, yeah.
0: I would literally wait outside, but. I mean brother isn't there a memory tied to that isn't there something special about the fact that you have to give effort to go to a store or you have to give effort to be like hey i want a special edition of this i'm gonna go wait out front till i can get this signed copy now you know as we see a lot of artists honestly take the consumer for granted and they just drop an album out of the blue you know what i mean there's no story to it there's no build up to it it's just like you're gonna buy it you know what i mean they're just banking on it like you're gonna buy it i don't have to do much but give you the music and uh, so that's why I say the only plus now is you can just get the music to the consumer quicker. But I feel like what's an issue right now, especially going on through COVID, I just been seeing this massive amount of albums dropping out of the blue from people. And I'm like, where's where's the story? Like, what is this even about? You know, why did you make this album? What is this album particularly about? And it's just now they just drop into your lap and they want you to figure all that out. What does this album mean to you? What do you think it's about? You know what I mean? My approach, why do you think?
1: Go, go ahead, ahead, go ahead.
0: No, I'm saying my approach with well, my new album, Bittersweet, you know, and using the focus crew with it, you saw I'm compiling so much story around the music uh, besides just, hey, here's my new album, enjoy listening to it. I think people unconsciously and don't realize it, they want to buy into a story. You know what I mean? They want to connect to something. And I think that's why we've had such a big uprising when George Floyd, you know, uh, was killed was it struck a chord but not only did it strike a chord people felt connected to an issue that they want to find changing so i think about old school records you know i i'm out here protesting and holding assemblies and and a lot of times i play a soundtrack and it's a soundtrack of old school revolutionary music like sam cook you know stevie wonder and as these tracks are playing i'm like man one the stuff these guys were talking about Was current to what was going on in the 60s and the 50s of black struggle, trying to move ahead. Hey, this is how we can move ahead. Here's solutions. And they're putting that in their music. And this music is timeless and still played today, still has purpose today. It's significant today. And these are songs that came out 20 plus years ago. You know what I mean? So I'm out here playing this music and I'm saying, wow. This is what I'm about as a musician as well as leaving this legacy through my music to where people can go back and grab a song of mine, an album of mine, and be like, this is relevant to our movement. I can tie myself to Wordsmith. I can tie myself to who this man is, this person is, his beliefs, because his beliefs are my beliefs. Perfect example. When Drake drops an album, I'm gonna be honest with you, besides Drake's music, which I'm not saying is all bad, but I couldn't tell you one thing Drake stands for. I don't know if he supports ALS. I don't know if he supports cancer. I don't know if he supports black rights. I don't know if he supports kneeling, not kneeling. Literally, I don't know what he stands for. I can go to Kanye. What do you stand for? Jay-Z, what do you stand for? You know what I mean? I mean, I can go down to actors. Most A lot of actors. Tom Cruise, I love you, but what do you stand for? You know what I mean? I don't know What a lot of celebrities and people that we so-called should worship, what we're learning right now is that why do we worship celebrities so much when most of them can't even tell us what they stand for, which is why they're so silent right now. They don't even know what they stand for. They're trying to find what can I attach myself to that gives me meaning because they've been living this privileged, rich life and forgetting that I'm on a pedestal. I got so many of y'all looking up to me that I forgot that you know these are real people that look up to me. And I don't really stand for anything. I'm not giving them anything but my talent. And so in this day and time with an artist like me, I have a voice because as you know, brother, my music is everything about what's going on right now. I've been talking about the struggle. I've been talking about police brutality. I've been talking about social injustice. I've been talking about having a purpose in your life, having something to stand for, being a part of a movement. I've been preaching this for all my whole career. So I easily in this moment can step out. And that's what's beautiful to me is I have a much bigger voice right now and I'm not a celebrity than the actual celebrities. And that's a lesson that we need to learn from everything that's going on right now. It's fine to have people you love and idolize, but deep down the same thing we're doing with monuments right now and going back and really saying, hmm, why is this monument up? What did this guy really stand for? That's why these monuments are coming down. That's why these celebrities are so quiet because we don't know what they stand for and they can't even tell us what they stand for.
1: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really interesting discussion when you think about how you tie music into current and social events. You know, I think about how when we were growing up in the 80s, um, it's kind of the, the real, you know, hip hop really started going late 70s, but the 80s is where it really, Kind of exploded in the 90s everybody agrees was the golden era of yes, that yes. um but there was some even thinking about like curtis blow and all that stuff there was like real substance to what was going on around real hip-hop really in the beginning was about life what was yes. going on in life the struggles and the conditions and the poverty and you know it was some party music and stuff you know like block parties and stuff but it feels like it just didn't turn into something completely different. And I think about music, and if you know, I love music, and I think about when people look back and say, What are the greatest albums of all time? You rarely hear about hip hop being mentioned.
0: Yeah, in anybody's.
1: So you get a few in there that have, you know, maybe like, uh, you know, The Chronic snuck in there, you know, mm-hmm. pretty high, or Jay Z's First Reasonable Doubt or something. But yes, yeah. very little, very little has gone through. In your opinion, why? Does music from like the 60s and 70s, you know, or earlier, The Doors, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, why does that seem more significant to us and what we love in music than what hip hop has been? Or is it just that hip hop's so new still in terms of music? I don't know. I'm interested in your opinion.
0: I think, you know, with those guys you mentioned, um, they were relatable to the time they lived in. You know what I mean? Uh when you can talk to people like, let's say the Beatles, they'll be like, you know, I remember the Beatles from this time. You know what I mean? And this is what was going on, you know, um, in the world during this time. And when we listen to those songs, it's you it's literally a reflection in a history book of what was happening during that time in America. Mm-hmm. And the problem with a lot of hip hop that has changed is um, you know, growing up, I was a huge fan of Public Enemy. I loved the African Bay mm-hmm. Bata, You know what I mean? I love groups like this because they use their music to push progress forward in the Black community or just open people's eyes, you know, opening people's eyes open to, hey, this is what's going on in the hood. This is what's going on in the projects. I mean, think right. about it. When N.W.A. came out, you know why it was so shocking and jarring to Americans? Because we were like, we did not know all this was going on. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't yeah. know so many Black people was getting killed. Police was shooting, killing black folks. You know, people was getting arrested for nothing. We didn't know all this injustice was going on because it was so suppressed and we, don't had, we didn't have media the way we have it today. And so when you have hip hop and it changed, it went from storytelling, talking about the real struggles going on in the black communities to money, money, money. Capitalism came in. It's all about money. It's yeah. all about money. Yeah. It's all about money. I want to yeah. be... A big superstar where these, not these rappers, they all knew one another. They all hung out with one another. If you remember those big songs like Self Destruction, which was a huge yeah. record where they oh, brought a man, bunch of huge. artists together. It was it was basically like the equivalent of what um, Quincy Jones did with We Are The World, but it was hip hop. And if you remember, that was on the radio back in the day, on the radio. That was the impact it had. Now, let's go to today. Could you even make a record like that today? <laughs> with the artists that are big today- it would be a struggle what would it be about (laughs) can you hear Travis Scott on that record no no I mean you literally could be like all right J Cole and Kendrick that's all y'all got y'all gonna have to do like 10 verses on this record because we've literally have no one else to pick from that has any substance and it's it's that's crazy to me so those artists like the Doors, Pink Floyd when you can make music that's relatable to people, and they can literally go, Man, I remember when I was when this came out. Or, Man, I remember when we were going through civil unrest when this record came out. I remember I was graduating college when this came out. I remember this spoke to me and it motivated me to become this when this came out. You can't really say that about a lot of hip hop records. They don't really motivate no. you to do nothing. No, they- <laughs> no.
1: That's what I'm saying. Like, you can almost watch the turn in the 90s. Yeah. Like, when you had, like, you know, Tupac. Love people, love Pac. But you know, Pac would not have been in this time of music. It At would all. not have resonated with, like right now. He would have been like because he was a huge activist and mm-hmm. came from an activist family. But like, like the content, like if people remember Pac, but you think about Trapped. I mean, think about that song. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all about now. You, you know, <laughs> Brenda's got a yeah. baby. Yeah. You know, like there's just all these like amazing poetry. They're poetic. He was a poet. And I think that's why a lot of people like Pac sometimes more than Biggie back in the day because Biggie was kind of like he was Diddy, you know what and I mean? It was like
0: it's kind of just was. about
1: partying and hanging out, you know, like
0: yeah, as dope as Biggie was, you know, he was. I don't take nothing from him. I love him, but he was one-dimensional. You knew what you were getting wasn't from talking him about anything. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he was just talking <laughs> about where he was from, his block, you know, his homies, women, you know, the typical stuff.
1: Yeah, Biggie typical, was more
0: yeah. more respected for his his skill lyrically you know what I mean and he was a big guy like he was unique you know to who he was with Pac you know I see my myself more in the Pac realm because the beautiful thing with Pac was Pac could be a supreme activist a supreme motivator yeah. a supreme opinionated leader but then on the flip side he could be a, a partier he could be that dude that you hang out with that you go out to a party with that you have fun with that you act crazy with and Pac he was able to navigate those two worlds flawlessly. And he had people that loved him on the political side as much as the people that were just regular fans who were like, I just love Tupac for his music. There's yeah. no artist like that no more. Where you're like, No, I I love the man Pac is, but I and I love the musician. Now you're just like, I like his music. That's it. That's all I like. I don't know <laughs> that's it, man. I don't really know nothing else about him, to be honest. I just I watch his IG and he's like having fun on there, and and it's like, that's it. That's all you get today. And so I agree with you. And I've actually had these talks with my oldest son because he likes Tupac and he listens to him. And I yeah. go, Pac would not survive in this climate today. He would not survive survive in this cli- climate today because I said, they don't even play songs like Brenda's Got a Baby on the radio no more. They don't see the value in the money no, in a song like not that. not at all. <laughs> There's no money in that. All. Can't dance to it. It's just like, in radio world, it doesn't resonate with the youth. Really? I was the youth when that came out. You was the youth when that came out. It resonated with us. You know what I'm saying? So what you? why are you dictating what we want? You know what I'm saying? You're dictating what we want without even really knowing what the consumer wants. If you feed us the same thing for 10 years, I mean, what choice do we really have to eat something else if you're not giving us anything else on the menu?
1: We'll be back with our conversation with Wordsmith. But before we do that, I'd love for you to check out one of my favorite songs from my brother, Living Life Check to Check.
0: Yeah I'm rapping for some votes But these haters treat me cold Like I own no to coat Giving you my soul Not an image for the cameras I'm buzzing kinda crazy My support supply to spammers This is for the dreamers Let me show you how to do it Only go to quit your job When you're living off your music Giving you this knowledge Cause I had to learn the hard way But yo, I persevered When they fed The all would fade away I keep working I wanna make it That's all there is I can make it in this biz Build a fortune for my kids Even though I'm blue collar My attitude is time. I'm I'm moving in your office, word with that white collar. Follow, I'll be singing blue collar blues. Come on, come on, come on. I'll be singing blue collar blues. Come on, come on, come on. Live my life, check the check. Yeah, need money. Live my life, check the check. Oh, need money. A little money to pay my bills. A little money. Stress, come on S down the block, head in the clouds and I'm singing those blue ooh, ooh 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 Sing the blues Rollin' down the block wishing I'm rich, shit I'm singing those blue ooh, ooh 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 Sing the blues Come on, come on, live my life, check the check, yeah, need my name, live my life, check the check, oh.
1: So we're back with Wordsmith, also known as my brother, awesome guy. i uh, glad to have him on here. So we were talking a little bit about kind of like, you know, there was a whole thing about lyrics back in the day, especially. And I'm actually surprised that hasn't been brought up more over time, but kind of the, the degradation of women in lyrics and different things in hip hop. It makes me feel like that's one of the reasons kind of hip hop hasn't had this real enduring or kind of legacy is kind of this almost self inflection of poor choice of words and lack of substance, you know?
0: Yeah, it is. I can tell you hundred percent, there's definitely a stigma, you know, with hip hop. And I know there's been times in my career where I haven't gotten, you know, things just because I do hip hop or people are just scared of hip hop because of what they see all over the TV. And, you know, that just goes back to, not having a variety to me that's needed on the airwaves and on TV. If you have a variety of different artists, like we were used to growing up where, you know, we both know there was conscious hip hop artists on the radio. Mm-hmm. There was backpacker artists that just were more lyrical. There was groups. You know what I mean? You don't even hear yeah. hip hop groups on the radio no more. It's so I, limited. Yeah, you don't. It's I weird. Mean, really think about it. So it was just, they gave the consumer so much to listen to, but also hip hop was about no biters back in the day. I mean, if you was literally following, biting someone, they was like, I'm about to kill this dude on the mic. Are you are you serious? Or even if you won somebody up, it's hip hop was so competitive, it was like, no, my verse got to be better than that. Or if a DJ, yeah. no, my cut's got to be better. Everything was competition with hip hop. Now it's just like, oh, I want to sound like you. I'm going to do what you do. Yeah. And that even part, a part of hip hop has changed. But within, you know, being honest, within the black community, we got lazy, And the reason this, is what I'm saying with that is we don't like when we hear someone from the white community say, nigga, we don't like it. But then I always say to myself, but we say it all in our music. So though they shouldn't say it, if that's all they hearing, nigga, 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 and every other word in your verse, what do you think they're doing when we are not around? They're saying nigga. Right. Because they're reciting what's in your verse. They're not, they may not be doing with any prejudice behind it. They literally might love your song. And they're literally just reciting back your lyrics. But then the moment they type that on Twitter or they say it in a video, we get all crazy. Oh my gosh, he should have never said that. And the first thing I would say is be like, that's your lyric, right? That's what you wrote, right? Yeah. So if you don't want him to say it in private or in public, don't you think you should clean that lyric up? Yeah. Really look at what you wrote. Did you need to say nigga right there? No. No. So it's lazy it's, writing. It's lazy honestly. writing. And that's what I mean. It's laziness in our black community where we're defensive. We're defensive when others outside of our race use use things that are derogatory. But we, honestly, we do it to ourselves within our own community. We're derogatory within our own community to our own people. And that's displayed through hip hop a lot of times.
1: It is. I Actually, man, I always had an issue with that, man. Just like... It's strange to me that um, the proliferation of that word would be so prevalent, you know, in, in music, but then so vile when somebody says it to somebody else, you know. And, I, you know, I've, throughout the years, I've, I mean, I've heard this on sports talk radio shows or Jason Whitlock and all those guys and kind of the whole aspect of it. And I think there's this weird thing about, you know, when people say you use the A versus the ER type of thing. My thing is like, why use it at all, at anything? Exactly. And they say, oh well, let's. Is a term of endearment. And my thing is like, is it a term of endearment when a black person shoots another black person and calls them that name when they're about to shoot them? What's that? What's the endearment about that? You know, like great point. <laughs> so it's also like it's oh, this is my buddy, you know, but also this is my enemy. Yeah. Die, you know what? Die, you know. what I mean, it's like so. I feel like it's just like, we've had a lot of things like that. And I think that pushes us back sometimes. You know, we shouldn't be taking, it's like people only take a word and make it our own. I'm like, make what your own? It's terrible. Look at the history of it. Like, (laughs) why would you still use that? And I get it as people say, well, I grew up in the hood or something and this is what I heard. Yes, that's what you heard. It doesn't mean that's what you have to continue to do
0: for that.
1: I've heard a lot of th- nasty things. doesn't mean I say it. <laughs> you exactly. know what I mean? So true. It's the same point. So I think there's also has been, it's confusing to people too. It's That's like, what I was
0: going to say. It's confusing. It's confusing. Yeah. It's very confusing to the consumer. You know what I mean? And yeah. I don't feel like they should have to be put into that choice of, or even put into the mode where they have to even say say the word. You know what I'm saying? It just... Yeah. We're putting other races in that corner. And when you look at other forms of music, whether it's country, pop, even R&B, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not, they're not using derogatory derogatory terms the way hip hop artists do. You know what I mean? And that's the stigma that never dies because if that's what you're continually getting out of hip hop, that stigma is always going to live. Whereas some of these other genres of music. That's not any of the things they talk about. I mean, you rarely hear cursing in other forms of music, nor does it sound good to hear a bunch of cursing. <laughs> it
1: doesn't sound good to hear cursing good. in a song, like a ballad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Did it doesn't make sense. you imagine that?
0: Sense. You would cringe no. if someone like Whitney Houston was singing a beautiful ballad and she was like, mother, you know what I mean? You would be yeah. like, what?
1: But sometimes you hear that, like, you know, like Chris Brown or Eric Bellinger, like, they'll do that. And I'm like, this doesn't sound good. Like, it doesn't make sense, you know?
0: No, nah, it don't make sense. And it's it's that kind of that R&B where they want to be hip-hop artists too. Yeah. You know, they want to yeah. sit in the middle and they want to be like, hey, I'm a hip-hop artist, but I'm also, I'm really a singer. And, you know, Trey songs is like that. You know, he kind of has yeah. that mold. Um, there's a couple artists. And it's more, as you see, it's more that newer generation of artists that came mm-hmm. out where they may have been in the game for 10 years, but they're not, you know, they're not Smokey Robinson. They're not of that, yeah. of that nature, that flavor. They're not Luther Vandross. You know what I mean? These were pure singers who made timeless music. Uh, Singers of today make just music that's good for right now. (laughs) And that's it. And that's it. It's just good for right now.
1: Is hip hop too young though? Is it like, it's been around really as a legitimate thing since the eighties. I mean, it's such a, actually it's kind of reminds me of personal training. You know, my profession has been around really legitimately only since like the early nineties and like mass production of it. But, Feels like hip hop is still in a, weirdly enough, in an infancy stage, but it doesn't really know how it wants to grow up, you know?
0: Yeah, it's, it is the number one form of music today, but it's by far the pure music. Which is crazy. Music. Yeah, because <laughs> it's not, it's not a very pure form of music, just keeping it real. Yeah. Um, It's not a very pure form of music. The stigma of it, you know, as well, it doesn't always give the greatest a message. The people that want to put a great message out there are the ones that are unheard and unknown you know, to be real. So it is kind of weird that it's number one, but I feel like it's number one because it's an easy form of music to just throw on other genres. You know, you can have a pop artist be like, let me get a verse from a hip hop artist that's well known. And it's simple to do. I just need a verse. Whereas think about old school collabs. They were called duets for a reason. Mm -hmm. And they were called collaborations for a reason because you had two great artists going in there, writing this song together, figuring it out, creating this body of work. And it was never like, hey, just give me a verse. You know, when you were creating a duet back in the day, both artists were singing parts of the hook, parts of the bridge. They both had verses. Where now it's like with hip hop, because it can be such an easy form of music, you're just like, hey, give me eight bars and I'm good. Well, that artist is not really taking part in the process of actually creating that record. It's not even a true collaboration. It's just like you're doing someone a favor real quick and handing them $5. You know what I mean? So they can get what they need. Yeah. And that's kind of how I look at it. And even when you look at hip hop, most hip hop albums today are compilation albums. They're they're everybody that's hot right now. And you're like, it's overload. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, like I'll give an example of the baby. You know what I mean? When he first came out, I loved him because he was so different, you know what I mean? Then uh, a lot of the other people when he did the Suge video when it came out, he was funny it reminded me of like old school hip hop, you know he was being funny, but he had lyrics. the song was catchy. I was like, this is a song that probably could have came out back in the day. you know what I mean? but ever since that record, everything's has sounded the same by him mm. he he kind of hit his niche and you know people showed like this is what I like, but every song since then has been you know what you're getting from the baby. You know what I mean. Like you know yeah. what he's bringing to the table, and then you hear him on everybody's record. It's overload. It's like, listen, I need a break. I don't want to hear you on this pop record. Then you on this R&B record. Then you got a record with Lil Baby. Then Lil Baby got you on one of his records. Then you then you're on the then you're on Drake's record, and then you're on. You know what I mean? You can go down the line and name whatever artist you want. He's done been on every record you can think of with every artist. And I just don't feel like when they, when they think of collaborations today, it's not so much about, does this artist fit this record? You know what I'm saying? It's, he's big, yeah. let's get him. Where what's and collaboration back in the day, you were getting a person that you felt fit that record. If you were writing a record about love, you were like, let me go get da-da-da. That That's his lane. That's his format. So he'll really give a great impact to this song. I'm writing a street record. Let me go out and get blah-da-blah. You know what I mean? He's got the streets. He's got the respect of the streets. He can add an, an impact. Now literally it's just like these three guys are hot. Let's put them on 50 records that's coming out this year. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. That's how it goes. Overload. It's
1: it's strange. It's really strange. I want to pivot a little bit to your uh new album that will be coming out at some point on the line here. Um I had the great fortune of listening to it. think mean, for the listeners, this is not an under, this is not an overstatement. I and mean, sometimes we exaggerate when we say things and My brother knows I'm not one to exaggerate stuff. I'm very practical, very even keeled, but, you know, in building the uh, excitement for an album, you know, people say certain things and you get reviews, but honestly speaking, this is the best hip hop album in the last 15 years easily. Not just because he's my brother. I know he knows I would tell him the truth if I didn't like it type of thing. It's, it's, This, when this thing comes out, you guys are going to be very impressed, extremely impressed. And um, so I was part of the focus group and listening to that. But um, Bittersweet uh, felt, feels like the album, it feels like an arrival of sorts. Um, In a sense of, because I've obviously followed your career, um, um, (laughs) being your brother, been a fan, but there was something very different. About this album. So, talk to me a little bit about the process of making Bittersweet and how you um, compare that to what's going on or correlate that to what's going on in current times with COVID and, and racial unrest.
0: Sure. Um, you know, with Bittersweet, uh, next to just only two records that I wrote in uh, the back end of 2019, I wrote pretty much the whole album during COVID, when we were pretty much locked in the house for four months. And I had an extreme focus because I hadn't wrote a whole album since 2017 when I released Perspective Jukebox. And I'm at the point in my career where I don't feel the urge or need to just put music out if it doesn't have a, a true purpose, or meaning uh, that can impact. And so during COVID, uh, I really wanted to touch on how life operates. And life is just very bittersweet. You know, and if you know anything about my career, I make life albums. You know, all my albums are about life and they're relatable, but all very different in their sound. And with this particular album, Bittersweet, I wanted to have this extreme dynamic from a very bitter record to a very happy, sweet record. And you get that on here. You can have a real, this real gritty sound. And then the next sound is giving you this excitement and happiness. And that's how life is a lot of times is you can get horrible news one moment and then get the greatest news in the world and be on the clouds the next moment. And I said, you know, what a great exercise uh this would be in music to write an album like that, to give the listener this feeling. And just on the songwriting aspect, I wanted it to be the ultimate album of today. You know, even if it never becomes big or it never reaches the potential I want, I wanted the people that heard it to say, you know, this is the ultimate album of today because It has great commercial aspects on it to where I could hear songs on the radio, but it also makes me think. It's about current day issues. It motivates me at times. It makes me reflect at times. All the things that I feel, the emotions that you have as a human being, as a person, the things you go through in life are embodied in bittersweet. And the great thing with the focus group is I had people in the focus group, uh, one of the people when it was like, it was kind of tough listening to it because I felt like you were talking to me at times, you know, and this is someone who had a history with me that said, I felt like you was talking to me at times. And I said, well, that was part of the, the effect that I wanted from this album that if you felt I was talking about you, I probably am. And it's good to reflect on the bad stuff, just like it is good to reflect on good stuff. And there's reflection for me all over this particular album of heartbreak, struggle, triumph, the whole nine. But also, it's a an experiment in so many different types of sound and and mashing up all the different eras of hip hop. I feel like I did as well. You you have this these sounds of 80s, 90s hip hop mashed with current sounds of today. But also, you have records that are alternative based, have jazz based R and B flavor to it. It's really something on there for everybody, and I say that about all my albums. But this particular album is—I don't feel like anybody else has put a an album out that sounds like this in the past ten years in this particular era.
1: I mean, I would agree wholeheartedly with that. I think from the beginning of when the uh, album starts, I can't remember it was "Bitter" the first song, or is it correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's "Bitter." When "Bitter" comes on, I think it's this this. I've heard this used in other reviews back when we used to read reviews about albums stuff. I used to always <laughs> read reviews about albums, love doing that. And then one of my favorite reviews was always like, this album is like the sonic landscape <laughs> and it builds this great picture. That's what bittersweet is. The, the song comes on. It's haunting. Actually, I can hear it in my mind right now. When it comes on. The album starts almost as this extremely haunting beat. And, I actually told my brother and I this is an interesting conversation like he he sounded different to me. That was the first thing I noticed. My wife listened to it too. She's like it doesn't sound like Anthony. It sounds like he did something to his voice. Something changed, like physically, like actual physical change. And um so it was almost like I'm listening to something that I recognize who the person is, but this person has evolved, has transformed himself. And the music is this um transformative, dizzying, um, hallucinogenic almost feel to it. It's 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 vibes. I, It's really interesting, so, but I think that's every song comes on and you don't know what it's going to be.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> and I think that's what's beautiful because if I hear a song today, 808 drops, I know when the drop's coming. I know what it's going to be like. It's going to be a bunch of mumbling and the same <laughs> thing over and over again. I feel like I was always anticipating, like, what is this going to sound like? What is this? Or, or like sometimes my brother would start rapping in a place you wouldn't normally start rapping mm-hmm. in a song, and that I thought was very outside the box for that. So, were these were things you were thinking about when you're creating, like, hey, how, how I want to formulate this?
0: Oh, to the to the highest detail, brother. I can tell you, um. Just starting off with bitter, like you said, you know, when it, it's haunting, but if you hear at the beginning, remember, there's like a rattlesnake that you hear tss, at the very beginning of the yeah. record. And it's that bitter, you're getting this bitter bite of a snake right at the beginning of my album. And that's what I want you to feel in here is you get this haunting and you actually hear a rattlesnake at the beginning. Tss, and it's like, I'm getting this bitter bite, a bitter dose. And you've heard it. So, you know, I come on there and I'm just like, I'm giving it to you from jump, giving it to you going right for the heart. You know what I mean? And. I what's great about the album is, like you said, brother, and I can speak on the outside. You know, not being an artist, is you really do not know what's coming next when you first listen to the album. Yeah, you can't hear bitter and go, "Oh, I know the next record's gonna sound similar to that," because you already know the next record is so different. The next record is sweet, and that has like Caribbean vibes. And
1: yeah, uh, it's the, just the hook. I didn't see the hook coming. I was it, like, "What is this? Oh, that's crazy."
0: So drastic of a change from how bitter sounds and sweet, but that's how life is. You have it's such a big, drastic change instantly in life. And I wanted to do that musically because I've never listened to the album that had such drastic changes sonically with their sound, but it still makes sense within the story, you know. And so I paid high detail to that. The other thing I paid high detail was giving the music time to breathe on this album. Yeah. Where there are moments where, you know, there's no vocals, it's just you hearing good music being played that's something that never happens in hip-hop. In hip-hop, they want to rap over (laughs) every part of the beat, scream, ad-libs. You're like, geez, the the beat's hard too. You know, I want to hear like- let it breathe. Let it breathe sometimes. And I think that's the beauty of this album too is, and why I ask people in the focus group to listen to it during the day, at night, when you're working out, when you're chilling, because that was part of the study is, does this album work in different atmospheres, different times of day? Does it sound different at night than it does during the day? All that interests me being a songwriter. And um, I took all that information and that's gonna help improve me, but also make my next projects even better. Cause I have this information now that I can work off of from consumers and different people in the industry. And with this project, it's like, you can listen to it when you're just chilling in the car and you just want to vibe. You can listen to it when you need to get pumped and get ready for something, a sporting event, working out, whatever. You can listen to this album when you're trying to get prepared for maybe a presentation and you need to be focused. It's literally, you can use it for all formats of your life and pull from it. And the other thing is, you know me, I'm always trying to be a teacher on my albums as well. But I'm also very transparent. I'm very willing to give of myself and say, hey, I failed at this. I'm still working towards this. I don't feel like I achieved this. Because I never want my listeners to be like, oh, this dude thinks he's made it. Or this guy is, he's settled or "He's, he's reached a plateau. I'm just as thirsty as when I just started.
1: Well, even like a song like "Believe" on the album, I know the whole album. Everybody, I, like I listened to it <laughs> nonstop, constantly for when I had a, it was available to me, which is such a pretty song, so beautiful and uh, so much meaning. You know, like I love the transition in part when you're like, "Do you believe in me? Do you believe in me?" Mm-hmm. And then going into the singing, it's just so pretty and just letting the music play and the percussion and the the drums and the engine. It's just like. It's all put together. You could tell the album had a tremendous amount of thought, a tremendous amount of time and effort was put into crafting this uh, very seismic level event almost with it. I, mean, I don't say that lightly. Like I, I mean, honestly, I haven't listened to a lot of great stuff lately either. But, you know, but, <laughs> but I also think to myself, what do I listen to when, I, when I'm driving in my car or something? Like I'm listening to Queen, A Night at the Races. I'm mm. listening to Dark Side mm. of the Moon.
0: Mm.
1: You know, I'm listening to Doors, the Doors. I'm listening to stuff that literally is like so huge in the history of music. So I don't really concern myself with a lot of the stuff today because it's just, it's just so vapid. You know, I just there's nothing to it. I want to be moved when I listen to something. And I felt when I listened to that album over and over again, I felt completely moved and uh mesmerized, especially the last song in the album. I won't see all the names and stuff, but really very, very kind of like, just, it's crazy actually, (laughs) it's actually, it's like really psychedelic almost in nature It's really, really good. And so I think, where do you go from here? I mean, you have this in the, in the pocket, you know, you know, there's no release date as of yet, as I know you really want to take your time and decide when's the right time to do it. But as a musician, where do you see yourself going from here?
0: Man, that's such a good question because uh, when I wrapped the album, that actually leaked into my mind quicker than I wanted it to. Yeah. Um, normally, just being honest, I'm exhausted when I'm done with an album mentally, and I'm sure other artists can tell you that too. You you go through this period where you're just exhausted, you know, from putting all this mind power out of creating this music, and uh, it's just a lot, you know. But when I was at the end of this, I felt more. Man, I want more. You know what I mean? I wanna I wanna go into the next thing. And I've been very busy as far as just writing music for a lot of different companies. And that's been a blessing, especially during COVID. You know, that has increased even more for me, uh, especially the people I'm working with. But I have this burn to go work on the next project. And I'm glad you brought the, the last uh song on Bittersweet, because that's more of the I ended that for a reason. With one, it's one of the more unique records on the album, but it also is to give a glimpse of where I'm headed next musically. And so the next project I'm actually working on is called new beginnings and it's a five track EP and it's going to be somewhat similar to what you hear on that final record. Like it's going to be a continuation of that particular sound, which was undefined in my opinion, you know, you could say, Oh, well, it's alternative or it's emo a little bit, or, I don't know. It's so many different things. I mean, at one point there's almost like this Chinese uh, (laughs) instrument feel into it. You know what I mean? And so it's so many different things similar to the record you brought up, Believe. Believe is hip hop, jazz, R&B, spoken word, uh, soul. It's so many different things wrapped in one. I didn't try to limit myself, you know, when I wrote. And like you said, so much care was put into every record. And I think You know, I don't know if you realize that some songs on my album are only two minutes, two minutes, 10 seconds. And I wrote it like that on purpose, where you saw there's other records that are four minutes long, five minutes long, on purpose, because I wanted to, I don't want to use the word play with the consumer, but I'm very conscious of how things work in the streaming age, okay? And so everybody right now is like, let me put 20 songs on an album where... Most of them are not even good, but I'm putting 20 songs in here because that's going to up my streams. It's all just an economical thing, money. It's not a content or am I giving you a great body of work? What I tried to do is accomplish two things. I'm giving you songs. Some of the songs are two minutes, so you have to run them back. You want to run them back and you get this feeling of that wasn't enough. I need more of this. So Then you're going to want to play this record 50 times in one day because it just wasn't enough. That was done on purpose in the writing process and Pretty much, I'm working in the consumer's mind. I want to make this record to where you love it and you want to keep playing it. And you're saying, it's never enough. I always wish this record was longer. All right? And then the other half is, I want to give you these long songs that are reminiscent of back in the day. So we can think of our dad and some of the stuff he let us listen to. We listen to songs that were six minutes long, eight minutes long. The almost overtures is what you call them.
1: Overtures, yeah.
0: Overtures is what they are. And so songs like Believe, they have an overture feel to them. Uh the last song of the album, Epic Energy, has an overture feel to it where they're, they're long bodies of work and these complete songs to where emotionally that you might only need to listen to it one time a day because you're getting so much out of it on that listen that you're like, all right, I gotta come back this again tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I wanted that mix. I wanted the listener to have that mix of like, you know what, I'm in this mode where I need to put on, you know, uh believe, and I just need to mentally just go in, escape go through escapism and just go into inner thought and have this song play. Or you're in the mode where you're like, I'm about to go out and I just want to hear some stuff that dumps that I can just run back. You can get so many feels or if it's six in the morning, you're like, you know, I just, I want to think, I want to have some things to think about. There's records on the album where you can just sit back and think and reflect. And I just really wanted to give the consumer options because most, most albums today do not give the consumer any options whatsoever. This is what you're getting and that's it. My album is full of, to me, surprises, anticipation, especially I think after you get to the first two records, you're really like, what is this album going to sound like? I heard so drastic differences in these first two records, content-wise, meaning-wise, I have no clue what's coming next. And you know what comes next is a record that is a mashup between today's sound and 90's sound because it has scratching cuts on the hook. But it's about something that we are dealing with right now is a fear. So many different fears are going on right now from COVID, the situation with race, how the economy is going to come back. So there's so much stuff that's about current times and that we deal with. But sonically, I wanted to marry all the different areas of hip hop into one album. Sonically, I want to have every genre of music you can think of embodied in this album. And I feel like I was able to accomplish that.
1: I think it's definitely true. And it's interesting that you're moving in a direction Um from epic energy kind of into the next thing, almost feels like you're moving almost backwards in time to kind of the music we listened to with dad in the car growing up. And, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, we used to always get on him about it, like, we don't want to hear this anymore. Enya, yeah, what are we got to hear Enya for <laughs> the nine million <laughs> in time? Enigma and all this stuff, you know. But in a sense, you know, the things you listen to influence you over time, you know, and, um, and it feel, or like it feels like you're moving more towards. You know, I know the wonderful work you do at the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, almost these movements, these progressions in music and classical music, you know, having different scores and movements, almost that you're rising with that at the same time, it feels like, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that has definitely happened to me um, over the course of my career is, you know, when I got to start with the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, it expanded me so much as a songwriter, you know, and as a musician because... You know, I've had to learn music on a deeper level when you're working with world class musicians that play violin, percussion, flute, you know, world class conductors. And they're at the top of their level in their profession, you know, so it helped expand me. It helped expand my mind, my my uh, knowledge of music, what I could do more as a musician, how I could be more creative. I could expand myself in. It plays a huge part on Honestly, my tiring of hip hop and really getting a bigger perspective of as much as I love hip hop, it's boring to me because the repetition of it, a lot of the production's repetition, there's not a lot of, I feel like artists that go out the box. A lot of people are afraid to go out the box because they're like, it won't sell or people won't like you. I don't worry about that. I'm in this mode of, I want to create beautiful music that when you hear it, you're like, where the hell was this made? How was this made? How did you marry this together? Like... What was your, even your thoughts as creating something like this? Cause there was no blueprint for this sound. And, uh, that's what I'm more been going for right now is I need that challenge as a songwriter, as a musician, and as an artist, I need a challenge of something different of where is hip hop? Where is music going to be in five years, 10 years? I know what we've been getting, and it's been a lot of the same old, same old. So what is next? And I'm not seeing those artists that are giving what's next. You know? And so I'm like, I'm just going to push it out there and hope that yeah. people, someone goes, that's next right there. I love this vibe. I love how this sounds. I love the meaning of this. I, I can't think of anybody else that this sounds like. That's what I'm in search of right now. You know what I mean? No matter what level that brings me to, I'm in search of that right now. And so it was important for me, almost almost like a movie To end my album like a movie and saying, hey, this is where we're going next. This is the sequel. You know what I mean? This is what the sequel is going to sound like.
1: Yeah. It'll be amazing. Like a live from the BSO, like uh, Wordsmith and the BSO, like album. That was crazy. Like a hip hop, or I don't know, classical hip hop album or something like live with you and the BSO. That would be sick, man. Oh my gosh. Like different, (laughs) you know, like you just like different versions of songs and like just all these movements and concertos and just but hip hop in it. Like would be nuts, man. It would just be like, that's the outside the box stuff, I think. You yes. Know?
0: And, and seeing and you get it, that's where I went ahead. You know, that's where I went ahead. And that's why the David Foster documentary was so, hit me so hard because, you know, early on, and he talked about, he's like, man, I just want to be um, a studio artist so bad. You know, I just want to be, yeah. you know, a he wanted it so bad, you know what I mean? But he also put the work in to be that, you know what I mean? And so I look at, he was working with full-blown orchestras, as you saw in some of the clips. He was working with full you know, teams of musicians at times. And I know when I recorded in Nashville and I got that taste of that, I said, this is my element. This is what I'm meant mm-hmm. for. I'm meant to be in the studio from scratch, no ideas, and build. This is the essence of music. This is why these guys back in the day made timeless music as well, because we were in the studio for 12 hours straight, brother. (laughs) Basically lived in the studio for half of a day and, you know, came out with three records. That was so fulfilling, so purpose-driven, you know, so uh, what I felt like, again, was my element, where I needed to be. It felt like home to me, you know, and so... I want more of that and a lot of what I'm pushing now is I turn down a lot of stuff where people are like, hey, you know, Word, I want to feature on this record and, you know, almost the first thing I'll say is, well, what's the record about, you know, or how do I fit into this song, yeah. you know, and they're almost thrown back, like, why is he asking that? I'm asking that because of the type of artist I am, you know, I'm not just going to give you a verse just to give you a verse so you can say you got WordSmith on a record, what is this song about? And if it doesn't fit what I'm about at the stage of a career I'm at, I can't do it. Even if I like the record, I'm not going to get on it because it doesn't fit what I stand for and the people that support me, you know, it'd be so different uh, content and concept wise. Uh, So right now I'm just, I want to be in a studio with world-class musicians. So we both had that understanding that we want to make something beautiful. And I've been able to do that with my sessions in Nashville and the work I'm I'm doing down there. And that's where the song Believe came out of that. Um, But working with the BSO, I've really been pushing them to create new bodies of work. Because uh, one thing with classical music is a lot of it is just reciting stuff that's been right. around for decades, centuries, you know, and it's beautiful music, but I almost chastise them a little bit for not being more creative. I'm like, you got all these world class musicians, yet nothing new is ever being produced. Nothing new yeah. is ever being presented to the public. Strange. It's strange. Yeah. And so, you know, recently we did the Baltimore's Old Ode to Joy and, you know, it just tells you how far I've came, you know. The BSO hired me to rewrite Ode to Joy, you know. And you're talking about you're rewriting something that's the Holy Grail in a lot of ways in classical music. Ode to Joy, we learned that in school, you know. Yeah. And so, so many big time professional orchestras around the world have played that. You know what I mean? And it's so known. And to come to me and say we have this amazing amount of trust in you, faith in you to rewrite Ode to Joy for out here in Baltimore it was a moment of me. I'm like, man, I've really have come a long way. You know, did these people have this tremendous faith? uh, No sense of worry that I can tackle this big assignment. And I was able to tackle it. You know what I mean? And really reshape it and uh, put words to owe to Joy that are current to what's going on now between gender equality, uh, social injustice. You know what I mean? Uh, Having a purpose-driven life, being a better person, helping others. You know what I mean? All those things that We need to work for it today or is happening today is embodied in a new version of Ode to Joy. And so having these big challenges in my career to do things like that and it being accepted and and people saying, man, this is such an awesome job you did. And just the thought, we appreciate the thought you put into it and the meaning you put into it and how you're challenging us to be better human beings and putting it in music terms. It just has shown me I've come so long so far the respect that I thought I've always sought through my career, you know, that I talked about earlier, I'm starting to finally get it now. You know what I mean? Uh, To where every day for me is very busy. Every day people are emailing me and calling me, word, can you work on this? Can I grab you for this? Can we meet here for this? And it's honestly so overwhelming um, at times (laughs) because I'm still one man. You know, I'm not. Yeah. You know, take a real big artist who has two managers, A&R is a major label and they're You know, they might be running around all day, but they also got that person with the cell phone and the calendar saying, hey, this is when you're going to eat. This is when you're going to get your haircut. This is when you got to meet this person. Yeah. When you have an interview? I'm doing all that myself. You know, I'm I'm the one sitting here writing 20 page proposals to get funding for something I believe in or writing a 15 page proposal to to go on a, a tour overseas, you know, which I'm still doing on a virtual level right now. So. I still have to do a lot of tedious, tedious work that normally you hire administrative people to do, uh, work to do. I have to do that while I still be a tremendous artist.
1: Yeah, I mean i I applaud you. Actually, I always tell people about you. You know, within my profession and fitness, when people say I don't really have time to work out and stuff. I'm like, you don't. I'm like, um, you know, my brother is full-time father, single father, and he works out at like 11 at night. He does when he can. He he yeah. he waits till late, late when he actually has the time. He has a tremendous around us responsibility, the full-time breadwinner, the full-time parent uh, doing every single thing. He can do it. What's your problem? And I'm like, and I think it's you, people need perspective. You know, I, I'll end with this, but I it's kind of, I think, a good segue from um, when I was on Come to the Table yesterday, where Sean and you were on that. We kind of have a brother's episode coming out. Anthony's is coming out then mine is. And I think perspective is incredibly powerful because you can throw facts and things at people and all this. But I was telling him on there, you know, this whole thing about wearing a mask and all that stuff. And I said, you know, I like to look at it at this point. I tell somebody, well, you don't want to wear a mask. And you feel inconvenience but maybe you might think it differently if you were inconvenienced that you were sitting in your home and somebody just came and ripped you out of your home from your family and then they put you on a boat a huge ship with a huge mass and you sailed to somewhere you didn't know what it was and as you saw the land getting farther away you had no clue how you would exist how you would live and then at some point in that journey some of the slaves were put in cuffs and they're all together and a big anchor thrown into the sea. And they, one by one, were pulled into a horrible death for that and then landing in Point Comfort, ironically, in what is now Virginia. I'm like, you don't wanna wear a mask? How about you don't wanna be on a ship to nowhere and be enslaved for that? That's perspective that we need I thank you for your perspective always and your music and being my brother and in being a good, good human, a good example of a human. I'm proud of you. I love you tremendously. Thank you for your contribution to the world.
0: Man. Thank you, brother. I love you dearly too. You, um, I thank you no, know, man, you were such a big inspiration, you know, to me, you really, uh, I'm not afraid to say you took a risk on me, man. You took a chance on me, you know, uh, people need to know you know my brother was in graduate school he was trying to get his doctorate he wasn't a producer and you took the time to get that program fruity loops and learn how to produce just for me and during that time there was no guarantee i was going to make anything of myself i wasn't in the greatest of places in my life and i didn't give you any reason honestly to believe in me and this is the truth um I gave you no reason to believe in me at that time. And so it was literally, you were at the craps table and you rolled the dice on me. And I'm so glad that you did, but your sacrifice gave me perspective. And that's why I'm bringing it up is we all need perspective at different points in our life. You know, it's, they are why we have friends and we have family and why we need people at times to not be afraid to speak up and say, Hey, you can do this better. Or, Hey, that's not like you, or, Hey, stop making these mistakes. You're better than this. You need that sometimes, you know, and between you and our parents who made the open sacrifice of not, you know, our dad going to New York my senior year so I could finish football and be in one place, you know, for one time in our life. Those big sacrifices are the things that gave me perspective because again, when our mom and dad made that sacrifice, I wasn't doing the greatest in school. Um, I didn't give them the greatest reason to be like, hey, let's be apart from one another and let him finish, you know? And both of y'all rolled the dice on me. So I better have become what I am now. You know (laughs) what I mean? I better have found the motivation I needed. I better have found the determination I needed, you know? So me being the person I am now, being relentless of never settling and never having enough or anything, I attest that to you and our parents, man, of the sacrifices you made for me early in my career when I really had no clue and no path. You knew what you wanted in life. You had your path. You knew what you wanted to go. Mom and dad were on your path. And here I was like a black sheep of nothing in a lot of ways of what am I? What do I stand for? Everything that I spoke about that I seek from other people, I was that guy at once. And so it's easy for me now to say, hey, you're that way. I was once that way. So, you know, I'm bringing it up to you, but I'm speaking from experience. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I stood for. I didn't know what I was going to be at one point in time. But I did have people that sacrificed, gave me perspective and took a chance on me. And that's some of the same things I do today to pay it forward and give back for what y'all did to me.
1: Well said, man. Well said. Well, thank you for sharing that. And uh, thank you for being on. I know, like you said, you're incredibly busy. I was pumped I could even get you to do this. So uh, thanks for your time, brother. And uh, obviously we'll be in
0: touch, you know. Thank you, thank you for the interview. I love you to death, man. Keep rocking on your podcast. Thank you.
1: So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Cause I know you wanna stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called the donut or the dose of news useful today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine. And when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences. And it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So get the donut. Stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text DONUT to 66866 to sign up today.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network.
1: Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the rate and review section. Thanks, everyone. What's that place you've always wanted to try? Well, you're there, sharing plates with... Just one bite. Or on second thought, maybe not sharing. It's that good. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it.
0: Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switched to progressive could save big. But then what? Well, radio has been called theater of the mind. So let's tell a story with Sound effects. <laughs>